Okay, good morning. Sometimes I can't hear myself in this microphone, but I guess it's on. I guess it's working. Uh, okay, good. Barbara says she can hear it, so uh, it must be working. So I appreciate everyone being here this morning as we continue uh, in our study on the life of Christ. Um, I was about to skip ahead a verse or a lesson, but Eddie reminded me that we are on uh, lesson 45. So if you have the packet, you want to turn to lesson 45, that's going to be our uh, lesson this morning as we uh, continue on uh, back to our normal schedule of uh, studying Wednesday and Sunday morning, uh, trying to get through uh, all of this, uh, all of these many lessons. Again, it's going to take us probably into next year uh, to finish because there's just there's so much to look at. Uh, but if you recall, on Wednesday evening, we looked at a lesson where uh, Jesus was instructing his apostles. He was ready to send them out on what is known as the limited commission, uh, Matthew chapter 10, limited in the uh, sense that it was only the 12 apostles. Uh, he paired them up in twos, uh, sent them out, and they really were only focusing on the house of Israel, so the Jewish people uh, at that time. Of course, Jesus didn't focus his ministry always on the Jewish people. There were times where uh, Gentiles uh, were uh, in, his, um, in his path, or sometimes he had you know, passed through Samaria and would uh, deal with you know, a Samaritan woman or uh, a Samaritan widow. Uh, from time to time, but really, while Jesus was on earth, his ministry, uh, his, uh, his teaching was to the house of Israel. And so that's why it's referred to as the limited commission. And, you know, he uh, began or he ended chapter nine by telling his disciples to beseech or urge, pray that God would send out more workers for the harvest. Right. Uh, fields are white for harvest, but we need more workers that's really uh, the emphasis of that lesson was that Jesus was getting them ready to go out and to um, do some mission work, uh, to go and spread the gospel. Uh, it's not going to be too long until Jesus is going to be gone from their lives. And so they needed this experience. They needed this opportunity to learn uh, what to do. And uh, uh, again, he instructed them what to do. Again, you know, just go to these certain uh, people. He instructed them what to take. Remember, it was very limited in what they were to take. They were not to you know, ask for money or anything like that, uh, but they were to uh, make it sort of look like they were um, you know, in a hurry, that, that they had an important message to teach and to preach. And so, uh, again, it was very limited. They only took the essentials. He instructed them what to expect. You know, he was preparing them for the disappointment that they were going to deal with. And he also instructed them how to react, right? You come into a, um, a city and they don't, uh, or excuse me, they reject the message, you know, shake the dust off your feet, Jesus said, um, and, and move to the next one. And he, he, you know, in this whole chapter, again, it's a, it was a really good lesson for us when, to maybe learn some basics of evangelism. Uh, or also, you know, maybe we're also going to do uh, some mission work, if we, you know, if you will. And he says, you know, I'm going to be sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And so you need to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Again, you know, use some uh, wisdom in the way that you are going to go out there and preach the gospel. And uh, he warns them that, you know, families are going to be uh, split because of this. You know, some of them are going to follow Jesus and some are not. So be prepared for that as well. 
and he also you know tells them that listen you know they're they don't like me already you know and if you think they don't like me you know how are they going to react to you and so again he's preparing them for this he tells them three times in this section you know do not fear uh, I think maybe we're familiar with uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, uh, where he says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, he's preparing them for, um, again, the, this great work that they're about to do. And do not fear. Don't worry about those things. You know, have, if you're going to fear anybody, fear God, right? Uh, because he's the one that ultimately uh, can... Um, you know, send us to, uh, you know, where we don't want to go. Confess men or confess me before men. Um, He told them that, you know, he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And again, love me above all others. That was really the the final statement he gave in that account. We didn't really get to cover that because we ran out of time uh, Wednesday evening. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. And again, we, you know, the point, the emphasis on the, uh, the, the study was is that we, uh, too, have our own mission work today. Um, and so there's much to be said about, uh, you know, how Jesus organized this and how he instructed them and how he, you know, um, told them not to fear and got them ready for this. And, and ultimately, you know, the, the, probably... One of the more comforting words that I think, you know, that we can take from this account is when Jesus said, basically at the very end of Matthew chapter 10, is saying, you know, listen, you know, it's not about you. You know, they're going, if they're going to reject you, it's not because they're rejecting you or what you have to say, but it's because they're rejecting me. Right? And, so, and so there was a, a lot of great lessons. That was one of those lessons I wish they may have broken it down. Uh, into a couple of lessons, but there was so much to see there in Matthew chapter 10. And so now we are moving on uh, into the next lesson, again, lesson number 45. And the passages we're mainly going to look at today is in Mark chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 14. And so here we have um, someone's going to start taking notice of Jesus and his ministry. And this, of course, is uh, a man by the known, and Mark chapter 6, verse 14, refers to him as King Herod. King Herod. Uh, you know, that's really what he would have wanted to go by, was king. Uh, uh, but really, the Roman government did not officially view Herod uh, here, this Herod, as a king. Uh, but if you look at Matthew's account and Luke's account, they refer to him not as King Herod, but as uh, a tetriarch. Uh, can you sort of hear what number is in that word, tetriarch? Eight. Not eight. Tetra. Four. Four, yeah, four. And so a tetriarch was a ruler, uh, a governor over... Uh, well, I guess his kingdom was split into four regions. Okay, and so uh, Herod, this Herod uh, we're referring to right now, was a tetriarch. He was one of four uh, different rulers, different kings, uh, governors. Uh, you know, however you want to refer to it in that in that region. And uh, 
you know, before we go any further, we sort of need to remind ourselves about uh, the Herods in Scripture. Uh, was there more than one Herod? Yeah. Uh, Herod, of course, is not, you know, a first name, but it's a title, sort of like Caesar. And so there were multiple Herods uh, within Scripture. The first Herod that we're familiar with, we read about uh, back all the way back in the beginning of Matthew and Luke. And you remember what he was uh, famous for doing, why we remember Herod the Great? Yeah, so Herod the Great was the, the Herod we read about in Scripture who you know, made the decree to have all those young baby boys in the land uh, killed because there was someone that was prophesied to you know, take over, to become a ruler in the land. And so he wanted nothing to do with that. And so that's Herod the Great. But here in Mark chapter 6, while Jesus is, you know, is in his 30s now, now there's a new Herod that's uh, taken over, a new Herod that is in power. And this is uh, who we refer to as Herod Ant Antipas. Uh, he is the Herod that is most uh, mentioned in the gospel accounts, Herod Antipas. And, uh, you know, Jesus is going to refer to him uh, later on as a fox, uh, meaning, you know, he's, a, uh, he's a cunning and devilish. And, um, you know, he's eventually going to be there at the end when Jesus is being crucified. He's going to be there to speak to Jesus as well. And so that's the Herod that we're dealing with. Uh, later on in the book of Acts, there's going to be a couple more Herods that are going to uh, come about. Uh, Herod Agrippa the first, and he is the nephew of this man that we are talking about today. And he actually, uh, if you want to talk about family dynamics, he actually accuses his uncle of treason, and his uncle gets convicted, has to go to Rome, gets convicted, and so then Herod Agrippa takes over uh, back in Acts chapter 12, around in that area. Uh, he's also the king Agrippa, or the Herod who dies. Um, uh, sort of a disgusting, painful death uh, that we read about there and who puts the first uh, apostle, James, to death. But then there's also Herod Agrippa II uh, that we read about uh, in, later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 25 and 26. And he's the one who comes to the trials of Paul and sits there and discusses with Paul. And so, again, the point is, is that there are many different uh, Herods within Scripture uh, the one that we are talking about today, again, is Herod Antipas, uh, the one that's most mentioned uh, within uh, Scripture. And so let's look at the first couple of verses here in Mark chapter 6. We'll start in verse 14. Uh, it reads, And King Herod heard of it, for his name had become well known. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying he is Elijah, and others were saying he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. So I probably should have backed up a couple more verses uh, to notice that, you know, it was talking about how Jesus was going around and was preaching and teaching and performing all of these miracles. And then verse 14, it says, now King Herod heard it. You know, King Herod heard that uh, there's this man in the kingdom, and he's going around preaching and teaching. And at first, you know, it seems that maybe Herod is a little indifferent towards Jesus. 
Again, word has made it to the palace about him and the miracles that he's performing. Uh, but apparently at this point, it didn't necessarily warrant his attention. Uh, he, he didn't at this point you know, send out peoples to uh, go and capture uh, Jesus or to arrest him or anything of that nature. Uh, he wasn't stirring the masses to rebellion or anything like that. And maybe at this point, there was no need of concern for uh, Herod to, uh, to examine or to you know, look into Jesus. But, but now... Again, what we read or what we did looked at last on Wednesday, now he's got his apostles. He's got these evangelists going all over the area, uh, all over uh, the land, you know, preaching and teaching about Jesus. So now, so now uh, he can no longer view it not as a threat, right? So now he needs to investigate. And so just who is this guy, right? And so some were saying that Jesus was Elijah. Right? Some were saying that he was some other prophet had been raised from the dead. But what, or what explanation really grabbed Herod's attention as to who Jesus could be? It was, it was John the Baptist, wasn't it? Uh-oh. Is, is, this, is this John the Baptist from the dead? You know, that's what Herod is thinking. Now, maybe at this point, we don't know why Herod's thinking that, but we're going to dive into in the next following verses as to why uh, Herod would be upset uh, if, you know, this man was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Because, and what do you think? Or, or do you remember why? Right. Uh, Herod is going to have John the Baptist beheaded. Right? He's going to... Uh, approve the execution of John the Baptist. And so, again, Herod is probably a little concerned right now that there's this individual going throughout his kingdom, performing miracles and, and uh, casting out demons and healing people. And, you know, he doesn't really know who Jesus is. Uh, and so he thinks that maybe this is John the Baptist raised from the dead. And if you're Herod, you know, why are you seeking out Jesus? Why do you want to know about him? Yeah, and also, you know, he just probably wants to make sure that, you know, this, this isn't John, right? Uh, because of, of what he had done to John. Of course, Herod would have had abundant resources. Uh, he would have had the ability to do this. Again, I mentioned this verse a little while ago, but in Luke chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 31, uh, it says, Just as that time some Pharisees approached, saying to him, Go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. So, uh, you know, Herod is eventually going to, you know, put a hit out on Jesus's life. But then Jesus said to them, uh, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. So again, you know, Herod Herod Antipas is going to uh, attempt to, uh, you know, kill Jesus. He's going to attempt to rein him in. Uh, and even, you know, I, I, even I, I mentioned this before, but also in Luke chapter 23 at Jesus's crucifixion, uh, starting in verse 8, uh, it says that now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he wanted to see him for a long time. 
because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod and his soldiers, uh, with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Uh, now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day for before they had been enemies with each other. You know, that's, that's pretty interesting, right? That uh, you got these two, uh, two individuals who are you know, high up in their uh, government positions. You've got you know, the tetriarch of, uh, of the land, uh, Herod, King Herod. And then you've got Pilate who's you know, within the Roman government. And these two who are, were at odds with each other at one point because of Jesus, now they have come together. Now they have uh, you know, that, that equal uh, enemy, that, that person in common. And so, so, so going back to Mark chapter 6, Again, Herod is concerned that this is John the Baptist. So let's read uh, verses 17 through 29, and then we'll, get, we'll sort of get that backstory filled in as to why Herod is uh, upset. So starting in verse 17 of Mark, or, yeah, of Mark chapter 6, it says, For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. A strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately, she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother and when his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. So, you know, we, we get the backstory here of why, again, why Herod is afraid that, you know, maybe this is John the Baptist. And, of course, we just found out that he had John the Baptist uh, executed. So Herod had taken his half-brother Philip's wife, we read about that, uh, Herodias, as his own. Now, uh, there are a couple of things that we could, uh, you know, we, we could look up as far as uh, secular history records for us. Uh, first off, is that you know this, as bad as that may seem, you know, uh, technically, uh, this this um, Herodias was actually uh, Herod's niece. 
So not only did he uh, marry his brother's wife, but he also married his niece. And we know that you know, in uh, you know, royal families like that, some of that's sort of common because they want to keep you know, the bloodline going in families. But here's, again, here's what secular history records about this event. Again, we, we don't find this in scripture, uh, but we find this recorded in history. It says that uh, before Herodias agreed to leave her current husband, Philip, and move to Israel to be with Herod, uh, first uh, she, had, or she had to return to Rome. First she had Herod return to Rome and divorce his wife. And uh, this wife was the daughter of Eritaz the fourth, the king of Arabia. So both Herod and Herodias, uh, excuse me, both Herod and his, his uh, soon-to-be uh, wife, they were both uh, married to other individuals, right? And so they, um, so they conspire together and uh, they both leave their, their spouses. Uh, this wife learned that the plot before Herod uh, she learned of the plot before Herod returned, and she went home and escaped to her father's country, and she let, told her father all about what had happened. So, uh, again, the king of Arabia, he comes and attacks Herod, and he destroys the, the whole army of Herod. And the only way that he survived was because the intervention of Rome, right? Because, you know, because again, uh, you know, Herod is dealing inside the, the district of Rome. And so... Uh, Rome had an interest in Herod and keeping him alive, and so uh, he was only only spared his life because of that intervention by Rome. And so this defeat here was humbling enough, you know, that that uh, his uh, his ex father in law, you know, came and almost destroyed his whole uh, army and himself. But now, but now John John the Baptist, this preacher, is coming and preaching and publicly denouncing. You know, this marriage that he is now in uh, with his brother's uh, wife. Uh, John spoken pretty plainly about this in verse 18. He says, For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And that's, you know, that's why John was arrested, right? Because he was preaching uh, against this marriage that was unlawful. Uh, to... It was very common in Scripture. We see this in the Old Testament all the time. It's very common, you know, that if your if uh, you, your bro- brother dies, uh, you know, that that you would marry his wife, you know, and that was very common in that day. But the thing was, is that Herod's brother was not dead, right? And so, uh, yeah. And so, uh, I'm going to read a couple of passages in uh, the Book of Leviticus. Uh, what it says about this. Leviticus chapter 18, uh, verse 16 uh, reads, uh, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. Uh, it is your brother's nakedness. In verse, excuse me, chapter 20, uh, verse 21 in Levit- Leviticus, uh, it says, If there is a man who takes his brother's wife, he is abhorrent. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. Uh, they will be childless. So, of course, uh, you know, the Old Testament condemned uh, what Herod had done here, right, by taking his brother's uh, wife as his own. Uh, You know, Herod, though, uh, we see had some respect for John. Uh, Although he threw him in prison, he does have some respect for him. He considers him to be righteous and holy. Uh, We were told that he enjoyed listening to John. 
And so uh, he, al- he allows John to live uh, in prison. You know, he doesn't execute him uh, right away. He had no plans of executing him, but he allowed him to live. Uh, why, do you think, uh, why do you think Herod might have kept John alive in prison? Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you think there's any political reason why to keep uh, John alive as well? The people. What did the people? Uh, did the people like John? Yes. Yeah. The people liked John, right? They they understood that he was a prophet of God. Uh, they would have been quite upset with Herod if he would have uh, had John executed while he was in prison, and so. Again, uh, John is allowed to live, uh, but again, uh, you know, Herod is fearful of the people. He's maybe fearful of an uprising if uh, that was the case. Uh, but in any event, uh, John is placed in prison because, uh, because of his preaching, uh, because he's preaching against uh, uh, this, this marriage, this unlawful marriage. And so we're told on Herod's birthday, um, excuse me, that Herodias sees the chance uh, with the help of her daughter, the daughter dances uh, in, in front of the people, in front of the, uh, you know, there's also guests here as well. And uh, this wasn't just any type of dance, right? This would have been something sensual. This would have been something uh, explicit, something that, of course, that no Jewish, a godly Jewish individual would permit their, uh, you know, their child to do. And this, of course, we're told that this pleased the people. And Herod was so pleased because of it that he offers up to half of his kingdom uh, or, or whatever wish she might have. And, of course, she goes to her mother and says, what do I do? And the mom says, bring back John's head right? because she has this grudge against John the Baptist. She has this grudge against him uh, because of the preaching that he had against he and, and Herod or she and Herod. And so the, the daughter goes to Herod and says, I want John's head. And, you know, Herod's like, uh-oh, you know, I'm, I'm stuck here. Uh, I've, got, I've got to do this. I've got to do this in front of all the people. I didn't want to put John uh, to death, but uh, now I'm sort of being put on the spot here. And so uh, John is beheaded, again, put on that, that plate, uh, comes back to, the, to Herodias, and, again, John has been executed. And so... Um, you know, that's, you know, that's why, <laughs> that's why Herod is pretty concerned right now, right? That someone's going around this kingdom preaching and teaching and performing miracles because, you know, he doesn't necessarily know about Jesus yet. And so he thinks this is John and, uh, he, you know, he had respect for John. Uh, and so, um, so he's a little, he's a little scared at this point, right? And, you know, there are a lot of lessons that we could talk about, um, from this text, you know, the, I know I've heard a lot of great sermons uh, preached from uh, here. Um, you know, what are what are some lessons you can think of uh, from this account uh, of, you know, looking back at John's death? Okay, so we could see a. If they were living. Under the Ten Commandments, 
Yeah, so we've got a, a lesson on marriage, a scriptural marriage, right? Uh, what about speaking out against immorality? You know, that, that, that's another great lesson that we could learn about from this account, uh, even, if it, even if the cost is great, right? Because, you know, John's going to lose his life for preaching uh, against this. I don't know if I told you or used this as an illustration before, but there was, I want to say back eight, ten years ago, there was, uh, in a, it was news coming out of uh, Houston, Houston, Texas, where the mayor there uh, was requiring you know, all the, the preachers in her district to provide copies of, of their sermons if they were preaching on you know, homosexuality or LGBT or anything like that. Uh, because, first of all, she was using it as a, you know, a fear tactic of saying, listen, you know, I don't want you preaching against these things. Uh, but number two, uh, you know, if you were to preach uh, on these topics, you had to submit to her or her office, you know, again, a copy of that sermon for them to review. You know, because uh, probably in her mind, uh, if she had the power to, you know, she would, uh, she would have, you know, like John, you know, tossed you in jail for, for preaching on that. You know, and now, now thankfully, um, it got no further than that. Uh, you know, uh, eventually she probably left office and, um, and knew that just that wasn't a constitutional thing to do. But, you know, that's where, uh, you know, some people would like to take, uh, you know, the, the preaching of, uh, of, of preachers. You know, that if you speak out against what you refer to as immorality... What the Bible refers to as immorality, you know, they would like to shut that, shut that up. And so, uh, you know, again, we see that John preached against this at, at such a great cost. Um, we could think of lessons about, you know, keeping uh, or not, not about making rash promises, you know, the, uh, of Herod uh, making such a rash promise in that, that moment's notice. You know, that, that's another great lesson that we could talk about. Uh, but let's, I know we have some, our time's quickly um, fleeting, but let's, let's uh, notice, you know, again, the, the different aspects to, um, to the, the hearts of the individuals in this account. You know, we have Herodias, and what's her view of the truth here? She hated it, right? When John come preaching uh, about the truth of, you know, the... The marriage of her and Herod, she hated it. She carried a grudge against it. You know, she, she, she hated it so much that, she, you know, she basically said that uh, one day, you know, I'm going to get even with this guy. And so she waited for, uh, verse 21 in my translation says, a strategic day came. You know, that was a strategic day to her because she had been waiting for that day, for that opportunity to get back at John. Um, I don't know, do many people have barometers at home? I don't think many of us do, but if you had a barometer at home and, and you didn't like the, the incoming weather forecast, do you take that barometer and slam it against the wall, throw it across the room? You don't do that, do you? But yet that's how a lot of us, or that's how a lot of people react to God's Word. You know, when, when they read passages uh, like Mark chapter 6 or or other, where, other places in Scripture that's condemning, you know, their lifestyle, they want to take the take Scriptures and, you know, throw them across the room. Uh, someone like Herodias, who, again, held a grudge against the truth. Uh, 
Then we have Herod, uh, who was perplexed by the truth. Again, he, he didn't fully understand, right? He didn't fully understand, but, uh, but it was enough to trouble him a little bit. Uh, he, he kept John around. He, he, wanted, he enjoyed listening to John. Um, you know, those are the people that we need to show compassion to and, and concern for and helpfulness because, you know, they get, they get it, but uh, they're just not ready to take that step. And, and sometimes they're perplexed by the truth. Herod feared the truth. Now, number one, he feared that this prophet uh, had a large following, again, that we touched on a little bit ago. Maybe he feared the political aspects of it. But he also feared the words that John preached. And so we see the fear in Herod. We also see that he appreciated the truth, even though it was from a distance. Uh, he says he used to enjoy uh, listening to John. You know, those are some ways, uh, you know, that kind of reminded me of, you know, really over the past couple of years during, you know, COVID, is that, you know, although it was a terrible time and a lot of people have, uh, you know, left churches during that time because they've found it more convenient to maybe stay home and, and listen uh, online. There have been a lot who have, uh, who weren't part of a church who have found the truth during that time because there was all this preaching going on uh, on Facebook and, and YouTube and stuff like that. And so a lot of people uh, actually have come to know uh, the church through that. I, I was talking to an individual uh, just here last week, who's planning on going to preaching school, uh, the same place where I went to, and he reached out to me for, you know, just to kind of talk and advice, and he's a little worried. But that was exactly his uh, background. He's, I think he was around 26 years old, uh, living in the suburbs of Chicago, Illinois, and, you know, he was just living life, doing his thing, and uh, there was some sort of a, a tragedy or accident in his life that kind of put him on the couch. For a little while, and this was during the days again that COVID was spreading, and he actually found uh, the preaching of uh, a preacher in the church, and it got him really interested. Got him uh, so much interested that he started studying with that preacher, and I think he's been a baptized believer for over a year now, and now he's going on the preaching school, right? Because uh, like Herod, uh, you know, there was this time that he was still a little interested. Uh, in the truth, even though it was from a distance, uh, he was interested, but he allowed uh, God's word to um, take take into his life, into his heart, and um, and you know now he's going to go train to be a gospel preacher. So I think that was pretty uh, neat story that I learned about this other week, and and so uh, also we have you know again John the Baptist, and where was his heart? Well, he loved the truth. He preached the whole counsel of God. Uh, he didn't hold back. He wasn't afraid to tell the ruler uh, of that day uh, that he was in the wrong. And so uh, let's finish off verses 30 and 32 of Mark 6. It says, The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place uh, by themselves. So Jesus, is, he's doing a lot of work again. Uh, a lot, they're so tired, they haven't even had a chance to eat. And look at, look at verse 37, uh, or uh, excuse me, in verse 33, because what, what's going to happen, uh, and this is uh, Wednesday's class, 
Uh, what event happens here in verse 33? Is maybe your Bibles have uh, a title for this next section in Mark 6, verses 33 and following. He's going to go and feed the 5,000, right? And that's one of those accounts that we are very familiar with and know that there's going to be a lot of work involved in it. And even though Jesus is tired, even though he's, uh, the people are hungry, uh, he's got more work to do. And so we're going to look at that account on Wednesday evening, a feeding of the 5,000. Uh, so uh, appreciate your uh, input here this morning and you know, your participation. And uh, appreciate uh, this class and continue to learn more and more about Christ and his life. And hopefully this is making sense to us as we think of it in a chronological order. And uh, again, just appreciate uh, you guys today. And so Jason's going to have our closing prayer for us. That's great.